0: From Radio Milwaukee and the Wisconsin LGBTQ History Project, this is Be Scene Season 2. I'm Nate Imig, and on this episode...
1: And they ran out of booze, and they ran out of beer. They ran out of everything we had <laughs> told them prior wow. to that. These women these women drink, and um, they didn't really believe us. So they, uh, they found out in a hurry, because they had to make a, <laughs> a booze run, you know. But, so um, you
0: showed them, huh?
1: Yeah, we sure did.
0: Well, Michael, this episode, I know you are, you've are you been really excited about telling this story all season because you actually got to attend one of these old-timers parties as kind of an outsider looking in, this invitation-only party, and we brought together a, a really great cast of characters to tell the story of the old-timers party. So let's start kind of with the what. What is this old-timers party?
2: So the old-timers party was one of the longest-running annual traditions in the lesbian community in Milwaukee, and I would—I hesitate to even say Milwaukee because it drew women from the tri-state area. It drew women from the region, and many of these were women who no longer went out to bars, were not interested in bar culture, um, had very professional lives, long-term relationships, property, you know, all of these, like, very... Established, very secure, very adult lives, but they still committed every year to come together for this annual tradition, which brought at the end nearly 500 women together for this really remarkable afternoon of dancing and music and connection and conversation. And really, I think the thing that was most fascinating to me, as you know, an invited guest, but really not the target audience of this event, (laughs) um, was that the you know, the old-timers party, people were so loyal to it and they were eager mm-hmm. for it. And every year they were wondering, you know, when is it going to happen? When will the invites come out? Yeah. You know, what? where will it be this year? What will be the parking arrangement? I mean, they were very concerned about continuing this tradition and maintaining the things that they really, really liked about it, which were, you know, this very inclusive and welcoming but also kind of exclusive space. And at the same time... Um, You know, the organizers worked very, very hard to accommodate this ever growing collection of people and try to find spaces that, you know, could host them and still maintain the things that people liked about the original parties, which were, of course, much, much smaller. Yeah, I loved when we
0: when we talked to all of our guests, um, all of them were like. Oh, just the way they talked about it was like you don't even want to know, like the things that went on there. Like it was and nothing scandalous, I'm sure, but just like there was this reverence for the, it being like this grand party, this very special thing that drew people together for you know for decades. And sadly, of you know, it was um, lost during the pandemic. I, I, and I suppose points out how difficult it probably is to keep a tradition like this going for as long as it did. But it does speak to how special it was for forty how many years.
2: So had there not been a pandemic the old timers party would have continued for 40 this would actually be its 45th year wow so it's it's really remarkable i mean you know pioneers like lois Ratso saw a need for the community and and just brought people together and it wasn't anything fancy when it started it was just a very simple party that you know was a circle of close friends and eventually that circle just got bigger and bigger and bigger and that experience got grander and grander I think that, you know, the thing we have to keep in mind is that the beer garden where this event started was just a little corner tavern. This was not, you know, an enormous warehouse dance club, but that's where, you know, the event really grew to. Um Hot Water Warehouse, which is where the largest of the events were hosted, um, you know, was packed to the walls. And if you've ever been in that space, which is now known as Boone and Crockett, I mean, that is an enormous building with indoor-outdoor access, multiple spaces, multiple levels, and all of those were jam-packed with people, just so thrilled to be together, to be under one roof, and to be in this women first, women-only, uh women-centric space. So the Old Timers Party really catered to all of those different people and all those different needs and created an experience where they could all feel very comfortable.
0: Yeah, I kind of felt this way at the parade, too, where, you know, it is a big crowd and it's a lot of love and a lot of support and a lot of community. And that's a really special feeling when you can look around a room and see a lot of people that that are just like you and and look like you or have a similar lived experience in a lot of ways. You have something in common and. Um that's really comforting and I think the whole purpose of pride in a lot of ways is to have that feeling that where you can be in a space and feel that that love and that community.
2: Right, right. And I think that, you know, that was the thing is that this was really and truly first and foremost a family reunion. It was a family of women who had gotten to know each other over the years and maybe there were some newcomers each year and maybe some, you know, old timers couldn't come to the party anymore simply for, you know, access or mobility issues, but it was an ever changing population of women and i think that you know when you look at most events they are so blended and so inclusive which on one hand is a really really good thing but on the other hand if you really wanted and needed a space like this where else would you have gone in Wisconsin like where else could you go to have this type of experience because so few places are exclusive nowadays and we we talk about the hard one you know, equality and equity that the LGBTQ community has earned. But then we think about things like this, which were really anchored in a very specific experience. And, you know, in- inclusivity is one thing, um, but, you know, at the same time, exclusivity also had some merit. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, we hear that from some of the, you know, like uh, Donna Burkett in her interview said that back in the day, like everybody hung out together and there was not the separation. But then you hear, you know, from generations of women at the old timers party, how special it was to have that women only space. So I think you need both in the community. So to get the full story, like we've been doing all season, we're going straight to the source. Lois Ratso is the organizer and the founder of the Old Timers Party, a tradition that got started around 1978. Michael and I got Lois on the phone to fill in the rest.
1: Vinny, excuse me. Get away. Come on. Go ahead. Who's Vinny? Um, he's a cat. Oh, I a little...
0: Vinny. I love cats.
1: Yeah, Vincent. Do you just have he's one? black. He's a tuxedo. Uh,
0: no. Is, he, is yeah, he a lover he's... or is he a fighter?
1: He's, he's different. He was um. <laughs> He is different. That's all I can say.
0: <laughs> Sometimes that's the only word for cats, right? Right. <laughs> and you were born in Milwaukee.
1: Yeah. Mhm.
0: Yep. Uh, can it, can born you, and raised. Would you mind sharing your age? I'm. I will be 82. When is in, your birthday? Uh, yeah. Next month. Oh really? Okay.
1: Well, happy, I'm an
0: old bat. Happy early 82nd. <laughs>
1: Actually, the old-timers party started in, um, uh, it ended in 2019 when the COVID came about. So I would say it was like 40, if not 42 years that we have uh, accomplished the ongoing party, you know. Um, Actually, it was for like New Year's. We were sick and tired of going out in the evening. We were at the beer garden, and uh, we decided uh, not to go out on New Year's Eve but to look at the leftovers that were left, you know, from the night before. And somebody had mentioned, geez, so why don't you, you know, have something, let's get together on uh, New Year's Day instead of New Year's Eve. It would be a lot safer. And so that's how it really started. There was food. The drinks were, according to what we played, you know, some of the, some of the bars did that for us. But, uh, you know, we just got together, and, and it became bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's, you know, that's how it accumulated. It just kind of like, it all fell together. And it was cheap then. We wanted the prices of when we were really partying, and they did do that for us. It was like two seventy five for a mixed drink. Two fifty for a beer, uh, so you know it was it was nice. Uh, it was funny because the uh, they said, "Well, we got to make some money," and he said, you're going to make some money, all right? Though, hey, these women drink, and everybody was welcome, men included. We had a lot of men friends, and a lot of them did show up. They had the time of their lives. The head count was close to three hundred.
0: Wow! Yeah. Wow! So it really brought the, they the crowds came out. right.
1: They came from Denver, Florida, Illinois, up north, wherever. Um, let me see, Arizona. And I think one was from Arkansas, moved down there, you know. But, uh, and like I said, a couple of them from Florida. But, uh, yeah, so um, there was like close to 300, if not more. It was just seeing everybody once a year, whether you were 90 or 21. Why do you
0: think that appealed to so many women? I mean, even women that didn't normally go to bars. Um, what did that old-timers party provide that other spaces it, didn't?
1: Yeah, it brought back uh, a lot of memories. And if the women didn't, well, just just people, period. You know, we had... Um, Everybody wanted to see if it was just one night out of the year that some of the older ones went out. You know, um, this is what they look forward to. Of course, there were a lot of passings of, you know, some of our friends that uh, are no longer with us. But um,
0: that's how it kind of started. Well, you must have a million memories from the old-timers' parties over the years. Um, I'd, oh love God, to, yeah. I'd love to hear a few of your favorite stories, your favorite evenings. Can you share well, uh, a good wh- story for us?
1: <laughs> I'm noted for, or was, past tense, noted for mooning.
0: So, oh, really? Um, okay, all right. That oh, was your, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was your signature, huh? <laughs>
1: <laughs> My rear end was always hanging out somewhere. <laughs> we decided to take a hike, and we went down to the M&M, and um, there was this big trash can sitting outside of the windows there, you know. So we were like in the, kind of in our cups a little bit, so I hung the moon, but actually I saw this light bulb on the top of the trash can. It was open. There was no cover to it. And what Patty did was that she put her boobs up against, her bare boobs up against the window, and I put the light bulb in my rear end.
0: <laughs> you hung <laughs> so the moon. Were... I love the word choice there. You hung the yes, moon. Yes, okay.
1: yes, I hung <laughs> the moon. And uh, they went nuts in the bar. They were, like, cheering, and the place was packed. So they're all motioning us for us to come in. And we did, of course, because we were going to go in for a drink anyway. And uh, they threw money at us
3: because
1: <laughs> we figured, you know, what the hell they're tipping us at uh Yeah, that was one of the the funnier ones that, uh, you know, happened. And then they always wanted me to moon because of that. And I'm like, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh.
0: You started something. You started a tradition.
1: Yeah. Castaways was was perfect. Jimmy Zingale, like I said, he was the godfather of, of us, of the gay bars. He had a big grand piano sitting in there, and we would dance. It was on 4th and McKinley. So it was kind of desolate. You know, we could good parking, all this other kind of stuff. And uh, so he really had a men's bar, but we kind of invaded the joint. And then um, he appreciated us because we drank a lot, we paid a lot, and we, you know, gave a lot of money to the bartenders. And uh, so he liked that, and we got along. So. Well, what about the...
0: yeah. What ahead. about the beer garden? Um, I understand that the beer garden was really different from other bars that came before it. Um, well,
1: yeah, the beer garden used to be called the Fin and Feather, which was sports teams going in and out of there. And then that left, and then the Sally and Roger—they're the ones that opened up the beer garden. They had okay. good food there, though. They had good food there, and uh, it was—it was fun. It was, you know, a nice place. That was one of Pecor's joints.
0: Picor—that's a person, Carol Picor, a conspirator of Ratzo's and a fixture in the local lesbian scene from the '70s and onward. So I'd love to know more about Lois Ratzo. Yeah, tell me about tell me about Ratzo. Do you have a favorite story about Lois?
3: Uh, you know she was such a crazy person that everything she did was laughable. Ratzo talking and laughing and causing trouble.
1: I put the light bulb in my rear end.
0: It sounds like these parties were a lot of fun, and um, I'm just curious about you yourself. Um, How long have you lived in Milwaukee, and how long have you been part of the local LGBTQ community?
3: I came to Milwaukee in 69. After I graduated from Madison, I got a job at Milwaukee Public Welfare as a social worker. And I went to the beer garden for the first time in 1974.
0: Tell me about the beer garden. Do you remember that night? Uh, You've got the specific year, so that's a good start.
3: Uh, Yeah, I I met a lot of people that night, and Sally and Roger, the two owners, couldn't have been nicer. Apparently, they pick out first-timers right away, and they talk to me, introduce me to some people. And if I'm not mistaken, that's where I met Ratzel, that first time I was there.
0: So, were you out in 1974, or was this a kind of a coming out for you?
3: Uh, well, I wasn't out—not back then. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Yeah, we had talked about going for. Well, I I talked to myself about going. I, I didn't have any gay friends at the time, so I just heard about it and and ended, ended up there one night. And uh, it became a home.
0: <laughs> Was the scene a lot different back then in the 1970s?
3: Oh, God, back then. And, and me, like I said, I'm 80. I'm lucky I remember my own name most days. <laughs> um, Well, yeah, because you weren't really, except if three or four women walked into a straight place, you were all stared at and looked at, like, what's the deal? There's no guys in your group, you know? And nowadays a group of women can walk into any any place in any bar, any restaurant, any place, and nobody gives you a second look.
0: So what what was the biggest change since then, or the most surprising change, or even the most disappointing change in the women's community since then?
3: I don't know how to answer that one. I guess it's just it's not really a, a community anymore, because we can be accepted so many places that you don't have to kind of huddle together to protect yourself, you know? You know, I, I don't think twice of walking in any place with four or five women you know, back in 74 you'd think twice about going to a straight place straight bar, you know
0: yeah I think you I mean that's that's a really vivid picture and I think something that, that um, you know, the idea of, of um, huddling together to protect yourself it shows mm-hmm. just how hostile it could, it was out there sometimes
3: just things I, we thought about back then all the time I never entered my mind anymore.
0: Nowadays, only one lesbian bar remains in Milwaukee, a sign, yes, of acceptance and of changing times. After the break, we talked to another fixture in Milwaukee's lesbian bar community, Mary Connell, or Carlos, as her patrons knew her. She was a bartender at Fanny's, a popular women's bar, and she took over the old-timers party around 2000 when Lois decided to step back. The safe spaces for generations of women that she helped create, and what the future holds for the old-timers party, next on Be Seen.
4: Hey Wisconsin foodies, this is Tariq Moody of Radio Milwaukee. Join Milwaukee Magazine's food writer, Ann Christensen, and myself every Friday morning at 8 a.m. for This Bites, Milwaukee's longest-running culinary podcast. We talk about everything from new restaurants, pop-ups, cookbooks, events, and even an occasional interview
0: with a local chef. Head over to RadioMilwaukee.org slash This Bites or listen anywhere you get your podcasts. So tell me about Fannies.
4: I started there in 1987. Uh, after I came back from California, and I was hired by Sharon and MJ at that time. MJ is long gone. Um, and I worked there until approximately 2004. Um, bartended, uh, was a bar back. I did cleaning. I, whatever needed to be done, I did it. Um,
0: That's a pretty long tenure, right? You said uh, 87 to 2004? Mm-hmm, yes. Wow, so I mean, you must have been an institution at Fannie's. Uh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no know. big deal, right?
3: <laughs> it's
4: it's just that I ran things. We had a a big dance floor uh, with all the lights. We had the DJ. We had two bar systems, um, pool table. We had everything. It was it was a very large place, and we just went nuts. But um, yeah, it was just that was party central because that's where the young ones went, where the beer garden at that time. That's where you get the ratso crowd. We called them the menopause (laughs) manor. So, you know, it's like I did did go in there uh, a few times. I kept, you know, eventually I kept going back more and more. But, you know, I was with the younger crowd and you had all the old crowd sitting over there. Um, Back then we had Beer Garden, Lost and Found, Sugar Shack, Kathy's Nut Hut. I think the station was still around at that point, may still be, I don't know. It's a couple of the bars I didn't really go to. Um, and throughout the years, once Sharon opened up Fanny's, any other competition would come up and we'd still outbeat them. We'd still stay going. Um, come and go. I held it one year at Fanny's. Oh man, it was a blowout party. <laughs> what what because, made it a blowout? Yeah. Because one, it, it's the old timers party. I knocked all the prices down to a buck fifty. Everything in the house was a buck fifty. I ran out of so much beer I ended up going to the liquor store, which I know is totally illegal, but catch me now, okay? Um <laughs> I think I went to the liquor store like three times just to get cases upon cases of beer. I ran out of everything. By the end of the evening, by midnight, I literally had a couple of cans of beer left. I went through so much Miller Lite and Miller, and you name it, it was gone. It was a massive party because we had the patio. We were able to use the patio and the big dance area and the front bar, and it was just a madhouse. It was a good time.
0: What made these parties so special? I mean, I'm thinking about these, these uh – uh, reunion moments that must have happened where people saw each other that maybe hadn't seen each other for years. Yes. Uh, that must have been really common. But what, you know, what made these these parties so memorable?
4: One day, one time a year, they tried it during the summer and in the fall, but it was always the winter. Uh, when I took it over, I kept it the last Saturday before the Saturday before Super Bowl because there was nothing going on that weekend. Um, it was just everybody would get together. When are we having? It? When are we having it? And I finally said that this is what we're going to do from now on. When I took over, and people would come in for it, come out of state. I know people that were from Colorado and Florida, and all sorts. It just it was a draw for one day, and it started at noon, I think, and it just kept going until it fizzled out by eight nine o'clock at night. You know, I brought in a DJ for it um, every year. Uh, it just. It was just a party. It was a one-day party, and it was amazing how many people, oh, man, I remember this, remember that. It was a great time, you know, and you see him again next year. <laughs> but
0: does, it, does it sound like it's going to make a comeback? Or
4: I don't think so. I really don't think so. We've talked about it. Uh, we did check into some places this year, and it, it was a no-go. Um We're losing a lot of the old-timers, and I'm the youngest of the old-timers. I'm 61. So I got women out there into their 90s aren't going to come out anymore, or they're not able to come out anymore. And we've lost quite a few over the years. So, I mean, Ratso's still kicking. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, this is exactly why we want to talk about these stories and and archive these stories. I mean, the fact that this happened for so long and it was this 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 major mm-hmm. community event that that people remember, yeah. um, we don't want that to just fade away into history just because yeah. it, the pandemic knocked it out.
4: Right. When when I took over, I want to do something special, and I think it was our thirty fifth year. And I talked to the other, my other partner in this. I said, so "We got to do something," and we decided to go get. Can Cozies. We ordered over 250 Can Cozies and ran out. And we had on, written on it, Ratzel's Old Timers Party. They went like hotcakes. We did not have enough. Um, they thought that was great. It was a little gift. And it's like, I didn't care to come out of my pocket. I wanted to make it special. We did that. Um, the one year, I think it was our 40th, I went and got the drag queens. I actually worked with Diane Gregory. How are you doing, Legs? Um, I said, I want to make this really cool. What can we do? So I got BJ, Karen Valentine, and um, Goldie Adams and Legs. So the four of them each did their own routine, and it was great.
0: Yeah, what a great lineup.
4: Uh, yeah, it's like, wow, I just had to buy their drinks.
0: Many local characters you can find in B scene Season 1.
2: And we have to keep in mind that over the past um Gosh, 15 years, and especially during the pandemic, the disappearance of gay bars really accelerated, and nowhere was this pain point felt harder than in the women's bars, in the lesbian bars. Um, Betsy Benning, who was in our first season podcast, was recently interviewed by... A an anthropologist, Gregor Matson, who wrote a book called "Who Needs Gay Bars," and his interview with her was specifically about the role of the lesbian bar and the fact that there are so few left in the country that there's an active project to preserve the dozen or so that remain and to really try to understand why they've disappeared so fast and so far. Um, although there is good news that you know there are some new bars opening, um, not only here in Milwaukee but around the country. I think that one thing to keep in mind is that you know twelve women's bars across the entire country is is a shockingly low number, and to have one of those in Wisconsin um, is is pretty remarkable, and we should be very proud of that, and we should work really hard to maintain that business, um, since it is one of the last dozen or so remaining. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are still people who don't want to go to bars and don't want to be part of a uh, bar culture. And they don't want to maybe be seen in a bar. Or maybe they don't like the experience of a bar. Um, maybe for them, the old timers party wasn't about the drinking. Maybe it was about the dancing. Maybe it was about the community. Maybe it was about the reunion. Um, maybe it was about the sense of continuity and heritage. The fact that, you know, they would see the same women over the years who had done such remarkable things with their lives and that would kind of remind them of who they were and why they were who they were. Yeah,
0: and and that's culture. That's history. And I think because our history is so tied to nightlife in a lot of cases, maybe from the outside looking in it's like so what this is a big drunken blowout, right? But that's not really what it was. I mean, there was drinking. Let's <laughs> let's be clear, but there's so much more there. It's a it's a cultural moment. It's a historical moment. In some cases, I'm sure even like intergenerational exchange. Mm-hmm. Um so that's Most really definitely really important and
2: and not to be overlooked. And I I think that one thing, one reason I really wanted to focus on the old-timers party and really make sure this story was told is that this is the type of thing that disappears without notice. This is an unsung celebration. This is something that went on for almost as long as I've been alive. But very few people knew about it because either they weren't, again, the target audience for it, or maybe they just weren't on the guest list. And the fact that Something could go on for this long and affect that many people's annual traditions and create this really remarkable experience for, you know, generations of women, and then just stop. And I, I guess you know what happens when cultural traditions stop. What happens when we start losing this unique and, and separate heritage? You know, there's there's some risk there. There's some risk of, of like a, almost like a sociological or anthropological endpoint for an entire community. And I think that, you know, we're seeing a lot of these heritage touch points. A lot of these annual traditions go away. Another example is the holiday invitational tournament, which was an annual bowling event every year that Milwaukee would host during Thanksgiving weekend. And it was specifically founded during Thanksgiving weekend because so many of the LGBTQ bowlers couldn't go home for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. and they had nothing to do thanksgiving Mm -hmm. weekend and while the rest of the world was celebrating family and unity and you know togetherness they were on the outside looking in saying you know what do we have where can we go so holiday invitational tournament which ran for again over 40 years uh provided that annual tradition for people to feel good about and to participate in and contribute to until eventually it just fell apart um a lack of Leadership succession, a lack of funding, a lack of resources, all the same stories that affect so many cultural traditions over time. But, you know, much like HIT, as it was known, the old timers party became really, really big and really, really successful and almost a victim of its own success.
0: Well, our next episode, Michael, on Be Scene Season Two is a difficult episode and we saved it for last because we think it's poignant and it tells a story of course from the past but is is still happening in the present and we're talking about violence against the lgbtq plus community it's a cold case that happened in 1967 and the victim was jimmy spencer and what's really fascinating about this story is the search for answers the family has been searching for answers since the 60s and contacted the milwaukee county historical society which then contacted you at the wisconsin lgbtq history project so there was this uh, long chain of research and opening up documents that hadn't been seen in decades so a really powerful story to end the season next week on be season two
3: This is Kiri Salinas, audio production manager at Radio Milwaukee, giving a special thanks to Nate Emig, executive producer and co-host of Be Seen, along with Michael Takash, the curator at Wisconsin LGBTQ History Project, Brett Krizgausi, our web editor, segment producer Salam Fatayr. thank you to the marketing team led by Sarah Lahr, Dan Reiner, our digital marketing manager, Aaron Bagada, the creative marketing manager, Thank you to Radio Milwaukee's community engagement team, DJ Brewer and Mallory Wallace. Our program directors, Dori Zori with 88.9 and Tariq Moody with Hyphen. And last but not least, thank you to Maxi Jackson, the executive director at Radio Milwaukee.